Good morning and welcome to the Truth About Local Government podcast. Local government is a pillar of our community. We all contribute financially and rely on these regional organisations for a multitude of services. However, sometimes as a member of the public, it can be difficult to understand what challenges they are facing, the solutions they're implementing, and fundamentally how that affects our day-to-day lives. As I've stated previously, the purpose of this podcast is to shine a light on topics and issues that are prevalent in local authorities across the UK right now. And hopefully by showing in real time these issues, the solutions that the authorities are implementing, it will drive a greater level of engagement with local authorities across the UK. My name is Matt Masters. I work with local authorities across the UK providing interim resourcing solutions for both projects and vacancies, and I've been doing so for the best part of a decade. I'm passionate about local government, the work they complete, and the benefits a well-run council can have on the community it creates and serves. Fundamentally, it's my belief that understanding what your local authority does is a right that every member of the community has. Now, today, I'm really excited because we've got a really special guest. Mark Watkins is one of the most experienced legal directors in the UK at the present time, working with a number of councils on an interim basis, acting as a leader of their legal functions. And he has kindly uh, agreed to come on and talk to us about the issues facing legal departments at the moment. So um, without further ado, Mark, good afternoon to you. How are you? Good afternoon. I'm very well, Matt, and nice to be here. And uh, thank you for that kind invitation and for that comprehensive introduction. No, it's, it's absolutely, I think you are a very modest man, but you're very exceptional in what you do. So I think we're going to dive straight in. The first question we've had from one of our uh, listeners is, what are the greatest challenges facing the legal services um, functions in local government right now? Well, um, there's several fold. I think number one is, is recruitment. There's no doubt that the recruitment for qualified local government lawyers um, the, the environment within which we're operating now in the market is the most challenging it's been for, for many years. Um, I, I don't think I can remember a time where there's been such a level of, of competition between competing authorities. It's, it's almost like um, never before for, for the talent that we need in order to make sure that we're doing what we can in terms of service delivery for, for, our, for our colleagues and uh, within the organisation and, uh, and the community that we that we serve. So it's, it, it's recruitment number one, I would say number two, it's, it, it, it's a, the, again, the financial, a challenging financial environment where we're, we're being asked, local authorities is uh, generally being asked to do, to do more with less. And of course, um, the two are related because the financial scene that I've just said also impacts uh, upon recruitment. So know that in, in several sentences are, are the sorts of challenges that we're facing right now me in particular in, in terms of, of trying to have anything like um, a good and competent legal service which in the end will, will benefit both uh, the organization and uh, the communities which we serve what do you think has caused the, um, the, the the severity of the recruitment problem getting worse what, what do you, what's caused that well um, I think Covid has, has played a part. Um, we are at as a, as a country, we are in a, a situation where we have record levels of sickness, and um, people deciding that they they want to um, how to get out of the workforce, and that's just meant in basic terms there are a lot less people to go around um, across. 
across the board and, and um, the, the legal sector is, is, is part, not immune to that. Um, and it's just a question of, of supply and demand as a result of the supply of candidates shrinking as a, as a result of those, those two sets of circumstances. That's really interesting. And I guess just for our listeners who um, don't work in councils or don't have an interaction with them, can you talk through what your role is um, leading a legal function? What, what do you do? What, do, what does the function fundamentally do? Well, it, it's, it's uh, I, I guess, uh, to use the cliche, it's a back office function. Um, it's largely reactive, but the, the teams I lead tend to be more proactive. In, in providing solid and timely legal advice and assistance in relation to all of the council's needs. Um, uh, even at, at a district level, local authorities are quite complex organisations providing tens and tens of services and that tends to generate a lot of legal work and uh, once you start to move up to say um, a, a unitary level, um, then you have uh, additional demands in terms of um, the work that goes on in uh, the realms of education and child and, and adult social care and it's all about uh, dealing with the legal work that arises out of that some of which is transactional and some of which is advisory and on top of all of that you've got the governance work which is uh, essentially uh, advice and assistance on how the organizations are run how decisions are made uh, and um, in, in addition to that too, often the individual that's leading the, the legal service will have a statutory role and function as a monitoring officer, uh, which maybe we'll come on to a bit later. Uh, but es- essentially that's it. To I me, mean, it, it sounds really straightforward, doesn't it, when I put it like that in a few sentences, but um, there's no doubt, and we might come on to this again also in a minute, there's no doubt that the volume and complexity of legal work that uh, in-house legal services are now facing is nothing compared, uh, or, or, is, or is, is a lot, lot different compared with what it was even just 10 years ago. Well, let's dive into that now, because I think that's a really, really, well, two really important points. And I'd like to, if you start with the latter first, why do you think it's got more complex and why is there more volume in the work that you're dealing with when you're working for a local authority? Well, I think that's partly a result of um, the, the increased number of services being uh, provided by local authorities um, and they're being asked to provide these services on on less of a budget and there is a risk attached to that and therefore understandably senior managers and officers within local authorities tend to be more risk averse uh, they are challenged more often as we have um, a, a, a population of communities who are, are are increasingly aware of how they can challenge decisions and so um, whereas before you might just jump straight into uh, an instruction and get on with the, the work at hand. Um, now there's a lot of preparatory work that will need to go into that, um, talking through uh, the, the risks and uh, potential pitfalls and problems in a legal context that officers face when they're trying to provide these services and take decisions in relation to service delivery. Um, apart from that, um, the law is always evolving. There's, there's, there's a general proposition. There's usually year-on-year year more law, and not, uh, not less law. And as, as the world becomes more complex, so the law becomes more complex. That's there to regulate interactions between individuals and organisations. 
it's really fascinating, I think, at the moment because we've got so many councils are quite high profile at the moment. Um, you know, I spoke a little bit about in the last episode about the creation of, of Offlog and trying to kind of identify councils that are kind of going potentially going into crisis. And um, but kind of going back, you know, we've got leveling up, so it's a huge uh, amount of work because of the property side. You know, children's services is the you know, amount of demand on councils going up and up and up. What do you think is the most? If you were to look at your uh, portfolio in terms of the service, where does most of the work come from in terms of, you know, what, which part of it would you say is most affected by the budgetary constraints? Um, it, it's difficult to pinpoint one particular area. I mean, we do have, just going back to recruitment, um, the, the areas where we're finding the biggest problems, no doubt, are... are um, uh, child protection, adult social care, and uh, generally speaking, anything with a with a commercial angle. So it's not just lawyers in uh, who, who deal with, with with child matters and, and, and adult social care matters and educational matters, but also those lawyers that can move between public and private sectors. So I'm thinking um, contract procurement, less procure, less so procurement lawyers, but contracts law, lawyers and property lawyers in particular. There are particular problems there because um, often they see the terms and conditions that are being offered by the private sector as as more attractive. Um, they often overlook the whole package, which is a which is a, a different point, different aspect of this discussion. But those are the areas which are particularly problematic. Um, and again, just going back to um, say child protection, there have been some well documented and tragic cases in the press over the last few years in relation to child protection and or the engagement, lack of engagement response, lack of response from uh, from local authorities in relation to those child case, child care cases. And so understandably, um, there has been a spotlight shone on that and um, uh, local authorities are becoming increasingly risk averse when it comes to that and that generates more legal work and need more lawyers. Absolutely. And again, going back to the one of your really it was a fantastic point around the role of the monitoring officer. So for those listening who, um, as I said, you know, most of our listeners don't work in councils, but what is a monitoring officer and what is their responsibility? Well, a monitoring officer is a statutory position. There are, there are three officers that you must have by law and they are um, head of paid service, which is commonly the chief executive what's called a Section 151 officer, which is often the Chief Finance Officer, and then the Monitoring Officer, um, which even though that only came into being that office uh, relatively recently, uh, late 80s, early 90s, it's something of, a, of an antiquated title. And I think you, um, for, for the public listening in to this that, that aren't really familiar with, uh, with, with all of the minutiae around this, I mean, it can be seen as something between a general counsel uh, in a corporate sense, somewhere between that and a sort of corporate policeman, and, but um, that the uh, local authorities are proceeding in a, in a lawful way. They are the guardians of the constitution, so they make sure that uh, all decisions are made in, in, a, in a lawful way and follow those rules and regulations laid down and which can be found within the constitution. Um, and it, that officer also has a role as well when it comes to upholding uh, standards, uh, not just in relation to um, elected members, but, but but also officers that work within the organisation as well. Do you, do you think it, was, it sometimes seems a bit of a thankless task being the uh, the monitoring officer in terms of having to regulate the 
to ensure that you know the senior leadership team are, are you know kind of uh, I don't know how to describe it you know working in a way that is uh, within the rules and you know because I've, I've spoken to monitor officers before who've you know had really kind of quite torrent times um, where they've they've whistleblown um, and then had to leave and then have come back after the the person's left. I mean, do you, is it a difficult role to to uh, to undertake being the, the monitoring officer? I think that that is a particularly difficult role. I mean, as a service lead or director, you are heavily reliant on your own managerial skills. When it comes to fulfilling the role of a monitoring officer, you need a completely different and very wide skill set. You need to be acutely politically aware because you are engaging regularly uh, with, uh, with, with politicians at a local and occasionally at a national level. Um, you need to uh, often demonstrate enormous uh, diplomacy and tact and you're often investigating uh, complaints uh, against members where some of the allegations are often unsavoury and then in the end you're looking at uh, running investigations and taking part in hearings where the sanctions that, uh, that can be put in place are often not quite up to the mark and that we are we're all bound by change in the regime that came about as, as a result of the localism act and so yeah i can understand why people uh looking at that role and thinking i'm not sure it's for me because ultimately it's thankless you get a lot of blame often when it's not your fault you you are often at the center of things um in, in relation to complaints between complainants and, and subject members um and it's enormously challenging and of course on one analysis um that's not that's just one aspect of your day job because often a head of legal or a director of legal will also be designated the monitoring officer so you have these two these two big roles that you're trying to compress into a whatever it is 35 40 50 60 hour week it's often a 60 hour week because um those are the sort of hours that you need to devote to this in order to get through the uh the workload that comes with those roles. I was going to say, Mark, I don't think if we went back through your working week for the last four years, we'd find a week less than 60 hours. Would we? But, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but uh, I guess one of the one of the, the topics and themes at the moment, which I'm really keen to explore, is innovation. And, um, you know, I'd be really keen to understand your thoughts around uh, how, not any specific council, because I appreciate I'm putting an awkward spot, but in terms of the role of technology, um, the changes that you you know that you'd like to see from central government, it, you know, with a when we're working in an environment where we've got significantly you know ever reducing budgets, and as we kind of outlined before, an increasing demand on services, you know, we've got to do things differently to to survive and to and to to thrive. So I guess really one of the things I'm I'm really keen to, as a subject matter expert in, in you know in, in the legal side of local authorities, where do you think there is a room for innovation? Uh, I think both in, in technological terms and uh, and in, in practice management terms uh, as far as in, uh, how we do things. I mean, technology, I've always viewed technology as something that you you either embrace or, or you die. It, it, there are pros and cons, though, also to, to technology. Um, a, a lot of the technological innovation that we've been subject to as as, as professionals um, has both both introduced efficiencies, but also meant that it's it's up the pace. Everything now is is at lightning speed, and, and that in itself could lead to all sorts of stress management and, and burnout problems as a result of that. So it's something I think that's got to be carefully managed. 
uh, and that's why you need a, a good manager that can understand that and that is, is checking regularly with their team in, in terms of capacity and, and potential burnouts. Because a lot of the, a lot of the people I work with in my teams, I have to tell you, are they're they're totally dedicated and committed, Matt, and they're there to do the best job possible. And as a result, that is recognised early on, and then they just they're almost a victim of their own success, and they tend to get and generate more and more work as a result of that. So. Technology just exacerbates that because it makes it easier for that for that work to come in, and so all of that needs to be kept a check on. I think in in terms of how we do things from a practice management standpoint, um, you know that that is, I think you're talking there in in, in terms of um, the the best use of time and possibly collaborating with with other authorities. You mentioned what can local go, what can central government do. I think the the ask from most of my peers would be to have a proper and meaningful and fit for purpose financial settlement. I think ultimately it comes down to, to money in terms of our interaction with, uh, with local government and also any legislation um, that, that's coming down the track which would, which would place uh, an additional burden on local authorities for that to be backed up again with, with a, a, a solid burdens package which is which is fit for purpose i think that would that would make great changes and um this just going back briefly to the collaboration issue that i raised there there, there is a lot of uh, collaboration between local authorities in terms of back office functions either starting now uh, or, or about to start and that's largely of partly of um a product of, of working in an innovative way but also as a response to the, the settlement over the last number of years, arguably decades, from central government shrinking, becoming less, and meaning that um, this is what local authorities have been reduced to in order to maintain something of a level of service delivery. I'm really keen to go back to a point you made a, a few minutes ago around um, your team, because uh, I know how, how much you look after your team, and, and you know, I'd be keen to understand as a leader. How do you look after your team to prevent burnout? But also, how do you create a culture and a cohesiveness when, you know, since COVID, we've got more and more people working remotely uh, for the majority of the week? How have you? What's your approach to that? Well, there are a couple. There are a couple of points there. I think I wanted to make. I mean, welfare is enormously important. It's more important now, team welfare, and and and, and with that, a pastoral, a big pastoral element. Now that everybody's working remote remotely, and the you know going back I don't know ten years or so, where you'd have sort of regular corridor conversations, face to face water cooler moments, and all that kind of thing, which has now largely disappeared. It's even more important than ever. Um, I don't think you'll ever replace that. I mean, the best the best sort of strategy and approach I've come up with is to make sure that teams are meeting regularly. Ineluctably, in 2023, that's going to be more uh, virtually across uh, platforms such as Zoom or Teams. But also encouraging, wherever possible, teams and team members to come into the office, even if it's on a a monthly basis. Um, And I think that, together with um, very carefully monitoring workflow, and I'm I'm very big on that because if you if you ignore that or if you take your finger off that particular pulse for any short period of time all of a sudden you, you'll find team members inundated and they tend to come to you at the last moment uh, 
on on problems like that where they're just, just about to, to fall over, which means that then it's it's twice as difficult to, to fix. So it, it's about trying to keep this this team spirit alive whilst everybody's working remotely and making sure as well, Matt, um, that their their working environment is is fit for purpose uh, and is something that is as comfortable as possible and. You know, the, the, the local authorities I've worked at, uh, I've been instrumental in making sure that they've got the right level of kit, even down to the right chair, to make sure that they're in a comfortable chair and uh, and even in extreme cases, um, the, the, the right kind of desk to make sure that, because uh, if you remember when we all started, when COVID was a new thing, everybody was working off their, their kitchen table, weren't they? Or even uh, off their lap sitting on a sofa and that, that in itself led to all sorts of problems. But we've moved on from that now. So, yeah, I think... I think all of that means that um, you'll never get to a position where you're working in teams across the desk from from other people like you, like it was pre-COVID. But um, employing stratagems like that means that you can get as close as you can to that. And I found that that works quite successfully in welfare terms when it comes to staff retention and welfare. It's so important, and I think you, you do it better than most of the people I speak to who are working in local government. But also, one of the, the key things as well that I'm keen to I keep saying the word keen um, to look at is approaching the topic as to why go and work for local authority in the first place to the, the next generation of lawyers, planners, accountants. So I'm really keen to understand, as uh, someone like yourself who's been incredibly successful in your own right. Why would you, you know, what would you say to somebody who's thinking about going and working for a council? Um, you know, what would you, what would be your thoughts around, you know, going and working for a local authority? Well, I think, I think the first thing to say there is that the the work type on offer. I mean, I've worked in in uh, as a, as a lawyer in private practice and also in the public sector, so um, I'm quite well placed to to comment on on this and to to look at the, di- the differences between the two. The work type that's on offer within uh, within a local authority environment setting um, is 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 much more varied uh, and therefore interesting than you would likely. And this is a generalisation, but this is the, these are my personal observations. So it's it's much more interesting than than you would get uh, as a as a lawyer or even as an accountant within a, within a private practice setting. Um, also, there tends to be. Although the private sector is catching up, there tends to be more of a focus on on your work life balance within a local authority. Um, I, I've I've worked at some law firms before where I've seen people doing ridiculous hours to the extent that after ten years they just they want to give up the law altogether because they just it's just not sustainable. Um, and 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 so with that, um, I, I think it's a cliche, but most cliches are true that local authorities tend to be more family friendly. Um, and I've met and recruited a number of lawyers into teams down the years where they've left private practice and given up a big chunk of their, uh, because of that, because they've made, and uh, COVID accelerated this, of course, they made a value judgment and decided that in the end, having more time with their family, working sensible hours was was uh, a priority for them over uh, what was dropping into their bank account on a monthly basis. It's so true. I think COVID for a lot of people was an opportunity to reflect. Um, but it has, um, I completely agree. Mark, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We're, we're running out of time, so I have to draw it to a close. But thank you so much. Um, you've been listening at home to the Truth About Local Government podcast with myself, Matt Masters, and Mark Watkins. 
If you enjoyed the episode, please like and share. Add me on LinkedIn. You can let me know if there's any topics that you would like covered in our series. But thank you for listening. Mark, thank you so much for coming on. Have a great day. Then I'll see you all soon.